Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 42 of Histories of the Unexpected, where we will be audio googling through history, exploring the history of things that you didn't even know had a significant story to tell, like chickens, chalk and valleys, because we're doing the Chalk Valley History Festival soon, aren't we? We are on Wednesday. Yeah, looking forward to that. Wednesday coming up. Uh, and we'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how simply everything has a history and, crucially, how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, that the history of dogs, the history of dogs, was in fact all about World War II and memorialization, Or that the history of cats is in fact all about the French Revolution and witches and, of course, the Reformation. What the man sitting opposite me is the colonel of calendars and cats, I should say. It's Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's Professor James Daybell. And the man sitting opposite me is the leader of long time ago. It is the famous historical adventure, the truly wonderful Dr. Sam Willis. Together, we will be piloting you on this uncharted and frankly highly dangerous flight into the past. Each week, one of us takes the lead. And this week, it's James's turn. Okay, I have been longing to do this for ages. When we when we came up with this idea of the podcast, I thought that this would be a brilliant idea. I want us to talk about the history of the fart. <laughs> farts, farts. Is it, has it been like a fart waiting to come out? It hasn't, no. <laughs> but so here's the challenge. You can approach the history of the fart in a sort of very puerile way. You know, and you yeah. can do the history of we and the history of poo and bah-ha-ha. Isn't that funny? What I want to argue is that, in fact, the history of the fart is an incredibly intellectually challenging and viable subject for an academic historian. Viable. Viable subject for an academic historian. It's it's wonderful. So, top of our head thinking, history of the fart, what does that make you think? It does does make me think a little bit about humour. It makes me think about social practices. It's to do with noise. It's to do with smell. It's to do with location, isn't it? Where is it okay to fart? Where is it not okay to fart? It's also about the history of medicine. Mm -hmm. So, if you think about it not just as as a sort of an emission of gas, whether silent or noisy, you know, odorous. I mean, that in itself is about a medical condition. Yeah. So what causes, you know, one to pass wind in that way? So you can get at it from the sort of realm of, of medical history. And then it's also about social behaviour. So it's about when to fart and when not to. And there's an enormous amount of material on farting and humour. You know, any any child you know, finds farting absolutely hilarious. I can't watch Blazing Saddles and that campfire scene um, or 
oh, the nutty professor and the dinner time scene without just creasing up. Yeah. Um, there is something just innately funny about farting. But how do you write a history of farts? How do you go about so, doing that? What's the challenge? The challenge is actually recovering the experience of farts and farting and attitudes to it. So it's finding it in the sources. So where do you go for it? If we think about it from a medical perspective, one of the places you go to is medical manuals, you know, and there's an awful lot of stuff about diet and exercise mm, yeah. and the body and humours. And That's common in a lot of cultures, though. I mean, people common, are obsessing in a, about in a lot of cultures. what they ate, how those foods yeah. made them feel and yeah. what those foods did yeah. to themselves. Yeah. And so, you know, in a sort of pre-modern world, the kind of vapours that women were supposed to, you know, to experience that sort of sent them dulali were caused by, you know, trapped bodily wind. Mm. It was also thought that the male erection uh, was not, did not come about through blood, but actually came about through wind. Wow. So, it, so it's associated with fear about male sexual assertiveness. So we can look at that sort of medical manners. There's also conduct literature. Mm. Conduct literature, you know, how to behave in the past is all about not farting. So yeah. not not breaking wind in public, not breaking wind at court. You have church courts, farts coming up in legal cases. You know, somebody has broken wind in church or they've farted you know, in the face of an enemy that's then led to some kind of infraction. Jest literature, masses and masses of jest literature. What's surprising about this is the way in which if you look at really decent literature, it's everywhere. Chaucer, Shakespeare, Dickens. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's... And also in um, cartoons. I mean, that's the most yeah. obvious thing if I yeah. think about it, yeah. being an 18th century historian. It's it's so common yeah. as a metaphor, but it's particularly a political metaphor. Yeah. So it's a great way of saying that that person is saying nonsense. It's to do with kind of windy vacancy. Somebody, somebody is a windbag, yeah. you know, or, or, or an old fart. Yeah. Um, Henry Blofeld is retiring from Test Match Special mm. and, and described himself as an old fart mm. this morning on Radio 4. What's really difficult to get is people talking about their own farting. You know, it, a lot of this is kind of hedging around the subject. It's talking about whether you should or shouldn't. I've got a couple of great examples of people actually in diarists actually talking about their farts. And I've been reading a brilliant article this week by Sir Keith Thomas of All Souls College, Oxford, in a wonderful collection by a friend of mine, Angela McShane, uh, called The Extraordinary and Everyday in Early Modern England. These are essays in celebration of the wonderful Bernard Cap. And Keith Thomas published an article called Bodily Control and Social Unease, The Fart in 17th Century England. And he's collected a range of sort of diarists who are talking about farts. Samuel Pepys, for example, was sort of pretty well known for having um, colic uh, he was he, very aware of his body, wasn't he, Samuel? In, in, in lots of ways. He was. His sexual appetites and, and the, yeah. the workings of his bowels and that kind of you thing. You get an enormous amount of um, a, a very personal understanding of what it felt like to be Samuel Pepys as much yeah. as, as what he yeah. was up to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you are interested in almost any aspect of everyday life in the 17th century, yeah. Pepys's voluminous diary, which was written in code, were written in, in basically shorthand, that is the place to go. The Latham edition of it has a wonderful index at the back, so you can just go to that and, um, and just look up any kind of topic. Did he have a shorthand symbol for a fart? Quite probably. <laughs> Quite <laughs> Find probably. out. Sorry. Quite probably. So Heaps records in October 1663, having having had great pain from this sort of windy colic and no relief. And he got no relief until, and I quote, he began to break six or seven great and small farts. And a few days later, you know, he can't fart and the pain comes back. And then in June 1664, again, he writes having 
suffered pain by wind, and a sure precursor of pain, I find, is sudden letting off of some farts, and when that stops, then my passages stop and the pain begins. So again, it's associated with, you know, it's somebody recording farts, but it's associated with a medical history. Do you know, talking about Peeps really makes me think about how Peeps, as a young boy, probably didn't experience pain and trouble from farts or, you know, whoever we're talking about. And, And I think the human relationship with the fart changes over time. Yes. Doesn't yes. it? And I asked this particularly because I was recently doing one of my history masterclasses with Susie Lipscomb on Henry VIII and Love and War. We were talking about how Henry became fatter in later life. So he starts off as a young, thin, fit man. And by the end of it, he's consuming enormous amounts of food, enormous yeah. amounts of alcohol. And um, I was doing a thing at a school. I was talking about a school yeah. and I was talking about the same thing. And one nine-year-old boy, he said, does that make him a little bit like Elvis? <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes, it does make him a little bit like Elvis. So uh, Henry VIII... Fat and corpulent. Yes, Henry VIII yeah. was having fried peanut butter sandwiches, right. more, more or less. But anyway, my point being, if you think about the fart over time, I think your, your relationship with it changes. Yeah. That's interesting, yeah, your think... relationship with wind. I mean, the older you get, the more troubling it well, gets. You, but you start off as a baby... You know, babies having all sorts of trouble with wind. So you can look at it there and you can think about child-rearing practices and the way in which children would imbibe milk or whether they'd be tapped but on the back, that kind of thing. So yeah. my, we've called my son Squeaky all of his life because he sounded <laughs> he used to sound like a squeaking door. He'd make this noise. <laughs> what I want to, to go back to just briefly is how we turn this into a proper academic subject. And I want to just read a quote from the article by <laughs> Keith, Keith Thomas. You're cross with me about talking no, no, about peanut no, no, butter no, 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 peanut butter sandwiches is fine, but I mean, Keith Thomas writes, even today the topic still teeters on the edge of academic respectability for modern scholars are much more comfortable with the sex life of the past than with its scatology. There's very little written on the fart, other than stuff that is sort of written for a very popular audience that is, you know, that is, is basically yeah, yeah. playing on, on the sort of lowest common denominator. And so how do you turn it into something that is serious? And it's also a distinct form from the burp, the sneeze, the cough, the hiccup, you know, snoring, or other kind of bodily emissions, you know, defecation, urination, vomiting, menstruation, ejaculation. All of those have a kind of history, but people have shied away from studying the fart. Having said that, there are studies from the modern day, the ancient world, and also the medieval world. But I think it's actually a really interesting lens into all kinds of subjects from looking at politics, looking at medical history, and looking at social behaviour. The fart doesn't only change across the life cycle. But what's also interesting is the gendering of farts and farts mediated by or inflected by social class. So, say what you mean by the gendering of farts. What so the gendering of farts would be for men and women to fart. Is it more impolite for a woman to fart? I'm not saying are there are there male and female farts, but if we're talking about social manners, it was undeniably less polite for women to fart. You know, they were more embarrassing, which is why, if you look at the jokes about women farting, you know, it's actually much funnier because women weren't supposed to do it in in male company. The other thing is, if you farted at Henry VIII, you know, it would be to give offence, but for Henry VIII to fart in front of other people, you know, would be fine. Exactly, you talk about farting at someone rather than just farting. 
Yeah, or, or part. I mean, there's there's farting at someone, which is you are directing. You are, your... are directing. You are insulting them, or there is sort of accidentally farting in someone in front of someone, which is which is rather embarrassing. Which makes me think of a very funny anecdote. I recently went to examine a PhD, very good PhD at the um, University of Glasgow, and on the overcrowded train on the way home, there were absolutely no seats anywhere, and so I ended up having sitting in the wrong seat and then having to stand up, and the guy sitting behind me suddenly sort of said, if you're going to fart, could you just do it in a different direction? And this poor guy had sort of obviously just been, had a long day, was standing up there. Next to someone's head. head next to someone's head and had just let rip. And, and his reply was, sorry. Just <laughs> a grown man who was reduced to sort of being like a little schoolboy who'd done something naughty. When I first started thinking about this, I thought the kind of the obvious way to go was to do with acceptable behaviour in yeah. the 17th and 18th century. But I just wanted to think about the reaction to the fight, essentially what we've just done there, which was laugh hilariously at someone's I misfortune. Know, I know, <laughs> for all For all the academic seriousness of this, we still can't help yeah, um, laughing at fart humour. I've had a bit of a think about the history of schadenfreude. Mm. There's a wonderful quote here from 1852. What a fearful thing is it that any language should have a word expresses of the pleasure which men feel at the calamities of others. For the existence of the word bears testimony to the existence of the thing. And yet in more than one such, a word is found. He gives other examples of it exists in Greek as well and it exists in German. I quite like the fact that it doesn't exist in English. <laughs> and we had to borrow the word. The interesting thing about it is whether it is a harmless emotion. Is it is it okay for us to laugh at this guy who farted on the train, or you know, it gives us a bit of a warm, fuzzy feeling? And it's it's. I felt going... really deeply sorry for him. <laughs> or, Slightly embarrassed. Or is it a bit a bit more unpleasant? It's certainly kind of around in the media a lot, and I think in political terms, certainly with Theresa May, yeah. we know what happened at the general election. That was basically the equivalent of a massive fart at the at the dispatch box, and everyone was laughing at her and said, "You know, you called a snap election, you lost your majority." That's kind of funny, and also, you know, the um, with James Comey, um, yeah. if you think about what was going on in America, and then he suddenly pipes up and says, "Actually, I recorded all of these conversations because I thought Trump was going to lie to me." Yeah, I um, didn't trust him. Yeah, yeah. What I like about it is the fart. It's a window into this emotion of, of Schadenfreude, and yeah. it's so natural. And we were both just reveling in it, and you're immediately kind of transported there. And yeah. if, if as a historian, you can tap into that, it'll help. Yeah. It helps you, I think, understand yeah. what's going on in yeah. the past. I think one of the one of the important points about this is that for us, it can often seem quite harmless. We certainly know and think that this Schadenfreude was much crueler and uglier in the past than it mm. is now. There's a guy here called R.C. Tench, who's a philologist and Anglican archbishop who's credited with the English citation of the word Schadenfreude, the first one. He argues in 1852 that it was a fearful thing that any language should have a term expressive of the pleasure calamities of others. And then we have another one here that refers to it as the malicious cruelty and the joy that others took in inflicting pain on others or even on animals as well. And I think one of the interesting things as well is thinking about it in terms of these kind of Victorian moralists who are writing yeah. at the time, when on the one hand seems quite a sort of wicked and unchristian way to behave and to go about it, but then others who are kind of firmly embedded in this Protestant belief and ethics see, see nothing wrong with taking pleasure from the pain of others as long as it's some kind of form of just retribution and for them serves a divine purpose. And this, I think, idea of justice is, is, a, is a really kind of crucial point to the way that the history of Schadenfreude changes. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The justice of the fart. The justice of the fart. Did that man on the train, did he deserve to be laughed at? No. No. Well, he, I mean, it, really? Really? No, really? I felt. I felt so. If you'd seen the sheepish he, look on his face really? afterwards, I what, felt so sorry for him. What if it was the result of greed? What if he'd stuffed his face? What if he'd spent? If he'd, what if he'd if robbed? He'd, he'd robbed some money off an old lady. Then he well, bought in, himself. In which case, yes. You see, he'd gone but, and bought loads of Brussels sprouts this, and eggs. But this lead. This he leads, might have stolen the Brussels this, sprouts and eggs. This leads me to my. <laughs> See, I knew it would be reduced to this. I'm trying to keep it very serious. The historical justice of farting is where I've gone. I mean, Thank the, you. The, so, drops mic. I mean, that that actually, that boom that actually fits really well with what I was going to talk about next. The sort of uncontrollable fart. You know, so you're unable to. You're you're actually you're at. No, I'm going to be. I'm going to be. I'm going to be serious here. There is a tension between, on the one hand, medical literature that talks about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be I'm going to be really serious here. There is a tension between the medical literature that treats it in a medical way and talks about the dangers of pent-up wind, yep. you know, of basically not farting and then the sort of protocols of politeness that basically say, you know, that you shouldn't fart if you're in a public space. You should either remove yourself um so that you can go and fart in quietly or <coughs> as you did then, cough, um, or, yeah, well, or, 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 or move a chair, or, or blame it on a servant, 
or blame it on a cat yeah. or some, something like, you know, the dog under the table. Oh, my God, what a whiffy hound. I Actually, uh, when I was reading this, I, I didn't write it down, but there was a wonderful historical description of a man describing the farts of his dog. Oh, no. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was 18th century. Um, it was also with how the history of hounds, actually, and hunters. Yeah. And he knew that this new puppy was going to be a good hound because its farts smelt the same as its father. <laughs> there was a one wonderful anecdote that I found of, uh, I think it was a sort of 18th century dinner party, and um, the mistress of the household uh, broke wind and then tried to blame it on the maidservant. Really? And then, you over there! And then the, and then the maidservant <laughs> said, it wasn't me! And so the mistress then took the maidservant outside and gave her a sort of dressing down. And then the maid enters back into the room and goes, um, I'm terribly sorry, but it was me who farted. You know? <laughs> Social control of farts. And the, um, Fart and the, blame. And the, the whole table just erupted with laughter. <laughs> you can see that this kind of tension in, and this will bring us back to um, Dutch humanist Erasmus, who in his book uh, for children... Uh, a school of virtue fit for all children. He talks about the sort of ridiculousness of attitudes towards farts, and I'll just read you a bit here. Um, he basically argues that it's misguided to attempt to hold off the inevitable. To suppress a sound which is brought on by nature is characteristic of silly people, silly people like us, who set more store by good manners than good health. There are some who lay down the rule that a boy should refrain from breaking wind by constricting his buttocks. But it is no part of good manners to bring illness upon yourself while striving to appear polite. If you may withdraw, do so in private. But if not, then in the words of the old adage, let him cover the sound with a cough. I like that. OK, where, where can you fart? You can fart in the bathroom. That's OK. It's acceptable, isn't it? You can't fart in church. By yourself. It depends whether it's noisy mm. or whether it's, I mean, you know, people... But there are some, you know, you can't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, the, the point is, it, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. So actually, yeah, yeah. the history of the farts all to do with private spaces, particularly with in, private spaces and, in the yeah. home. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of the things I thought about Keith Thomas's article, which I thought was very interesting, he talks about it from the perspective of humour, the perspective of, of politics, the perspective of, of medicine. Um, but what you don't get is when it's fine to fart in company. Mm. You know, so if you have a look at, at small kids, small kids actually find it incredibly hilarious to fart in front of each other. You know, how does the fart enter into discussions about marriage? Big topic about social history. Are couples happy farting in front of each other? And what does that suggest about the sort of comfortable nature of a particular relationship that you can that you can do that we're not going down that road um at all um or or groups of men farting in front of each other back to old men um i think old men are, are much more comfortable in just farting in public oh, yeah, in front you? of people i'm not an old man there are professors that i know old, pro <laughs> old professors that i know um i will not name names but sort of you know wandering around will just you know, so, erupt. I, I think one of the, the points about this is what is acceptable, where is it acceptable? So I'm going to take you back to 1992 in St. Petersburg. Oh, what happened there? There's a research centre for studying chimpanzees. Oh, gosh. And the researchers suddenly noticed that the chimpanzees were displaying some odd behaviour. The chimpanzees had bonded with their keepers and their researchers in a very interesting way. One of them started throwing its own poo at the researchers, but finding it funny. Hmm. And also urinating at them and spitting at them. It was kind of like quasi-aggression. It, yeah. it wasn't deliberate aggression. It didn't do it to people it was scared of. 
I didn't quite like that. I was making which researchers so, which research is, is so it's about challenging social but it was boundaries. Challenging, and it yeah. was um, if the human researchers responded with laughter, which is what they yeah. did a lot. Yeah. The chimpanzees found it funny. And then they would carry on doing it. And it's all this is behaviour that's also it was experienced through orangutans as well. Right. What I thought was actually particularly interesting about this, it's the turning on its head of the social norms. Mm. And I think even within chimpanzee society, as humans, throwing your poo at someone is is completely unacceptable. But there are examples of this happening in history. There are um, medieval festivals. Mm. Uh, it was very, you know, very common. It did happen. And also the clowning of North American Indians um, and, and Russian agricultural rights. What we've got here is the sort of the violation of, of one, one absolutely fundamental taboo, which I thought was very interesting indeed. And it's visible in Renaissance art. Now, from that, you get the kind of derivatives of what's acceptable and what's unacceptable, and one of which is bearing buttocks. It's, it's yeah. pulling moonies. Moonies, yeah. You know, if we think about it this way, the fart and what's acceptable and, and how you do it, there is an extraordinary history which is linked with poo and linked with kind of moonies, turning social norms on their heads. Um, the medieval Feast of Fools, mm. um, you know, 16th century, often um, to do with the church, when yeah. the, the whole hierarchy, the world turned upside yeah, down, the yeah, whole yeah. hierarchy was deliberately switched. Sharivari, kind of the world, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was deliberately switched for a short, organised, geographically and sort of temporally in terms of chronology. They knew it was going to be upside down for this this piece of it still this happens in, in in certain sort of rural villages. Yeah. You know, if you went down to Cornwall or we're in Devon, you know, they have this kind of Lord of Misrule. So you know that it, it subverts the social hierarchy. Yeah, they do it on ships yeah. as well, crossing yeah. the line ceremonies. Yeah. Exactly the same thing yeah. where you have kind of um, low level sailors who are actually being put yeah. in charge of the I'm ship. I'm going to talk when we do cats uh, at another time. I'm going to talk about that as well. Yeah. But no, I think the monkeys and the orangutans are doing. It shows that there's a basic element of humour in the you know the the, yeah. the pre-human yeah. stage, yeah. which I really liked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, which which would link with something like you know Norbert Elias is the civilizing process, mm-hmm. you know, where effectively what he talks about is the you know it's a very sort of linear approach, but effectively as we as we move out of the sort of medieval and early modern into the modern, so we get this sort of increased concentration on particular kinds of manners. And he does talk about, you know, breaking wind and flatulence. I want to go back to, you know, to humour. I think humour tells you a lot about um, social codes or social expectations about farting. You know, we've talked about in modern day culture, you know, the kinds of representations of it in, you know, Mel Brooks movies um, or things like The Nutty Professor. Throughout history, people seem to have found it incredibly funny. One of the funniest jokes that I found was a sort of stop joke from Elizabethan times. Uh, and the response to the question was, how dare you fart before me? Mm. Was, I'm sorry, if I'd known you'd wanted to go first, I'd have waited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there are all sorts of jokes. And what is it that is endlessly funny about it? It's also in Chaucer and Shakespeare, as I said. So Chaucer, the Miller's Tale, and it crops up in other parts of the Canterbury Tales, but the parish clerk Absalom is basically tricked into kissing Alison's buttocks right. rather than her head. And then Alison's boyfriend in the, in the tale, actually, instead of her sticking her bottom out of the window, sticks his own bottom out of the window. And in fact, when the parish clerk tries to kiss him, he farts in his face as a kind of way of, of sort of subverting uh, getting back at his rival. Two Gentlemen of Verona, Shakespeare play The Clown Lance, basically um, subverts the tradition that you would blame a dog for farting. The dog under the table farts, at the Duke of Milan's um, dining table farts, the dog crab, 
and then you know the whole sort of fun is about he he blames himself yeah. uh, rather than the dog. So there's this whole sort of you know description. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, that kind of endless humour is there. Where are you going to go with the fart next? I'm just going to very briefly, and I want to show you this, uh, which I love. Ooh, it's the best. 18th century farting cartoon. Oh, my God. Yes, I know. <laughs> well, of course, we have a ship in the background. We do, of course. Uh, yep. We have rocks with a what looked like uh, fortifications, yep. and then we have cannons yep. uh, poking out, so cannon holes and cannons poking out, and they are firing uh, things. Fire, but cannonballs. Uh, cannonballs. Um, I can't see the cannonballs, but there, there are flames coming out. Uh, I wondered whether those were turds. There are men... Uh, one, two, three, four. I see four buttocks, men with their trousers down, their bottoms directed at the cannons, uh, farting back. And they seem to be far- farting cannonballs or turds. Yeah, so uh, the, the the brilliant thing about this is, is the title. It's called The Bombardment of Gibraltar. The bum- <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of sums it up. Um, Excellent. Siege of Gibraltar, end of the American Revolutionary War. And what you've got here is you've got some French and Spanish officers on their hands and knees firing cannonballs or possibly poo out of their bum at the Rock of Gibraltar. It is the best example of 18th century farting political caricature. And the metaphor here is it's all to do with the weakness of French and Spanish sea power against Mm. an isolated British rock. Gibraltar is British, has been British since 1704. It is on a pimple at the bottom of Spain and it is completely surrounded by French and Spanish ships and yet they do not take it they cannot take it and that's a really interesting way of looking at the um, difficulty of wielding sea power at that period and throughout the entire war um, Gibraltar is a strategic linchpin for what's going on the war is more or less won and lost in in Gibraltar and also the Caribbean Uh, but you have these isolated places and you'd think that A they might be able to starve them out no, not possible. And B, they'd be able to launch an attack against the rock. No, not possible. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and so uh, this wonderful, wonderful cartoon of... Um, and it's also it's also humiliating the, the men on there. It is humiliating. I mean, yeah. their, and their failure in 1782 when they did really bring a huge fleet together and they, they launched what they were going to call the Grand Assault failed spectacularly. And it was funny. We come back to my point about Schadenfreude. Yeah. Their incompetence yeah. was entertaining. Reformation. The fart is all about the Reformation. The first time I came across the history of the fart was actually aged 18, sitting in the exam rooms, listening to the Reformation historian Christopher Haig talk about popular religion and attitudes towards the English Reformation. And having you know, gone through the church courts, which basically policed people who who didn't attend attend church or, you know, didn't enjoy sermons, that kind of thing. He gave an example of one parishioner who, when questioned, you know, why did he make a noise in church, um, said, well, the sermon isn't worth a fart from my tail. Hmm. So it's a way of communicating opinion. And we have here a little woodcut from I love Martin woodcuts. Luther's 1545 depictions of the papacy. And what you have here is there's a sort of fire and brimstone papal bull uh, coming out here. And these two German peasants, uh, basically, again, your sort of um, military men there, military Frenchmen, um, bearing their buttocks and basically farting in the face of the Pope. It's farting a way in your of... general direction. Exactly. And I think if you go back through history, the fart has been used in offensive and political ways and, you know, has caused wars. 
Hmm. If we go back to 569 BC and the historian Herodotus, he reports that a, a fart, in fact, sparked a revolt against an Egyptian king who sent one of his generals to quash a rebellion among the troops. But, you know, I think he farts in front of them. Uh, and then this leads to a sort of huge sort of uprising and then leads to basically the king being overturned. So everyone should hold their farts in in case they start a exactly. war. Exactly. Or 1607, famous occasion in the English Parliament where Henry Ludlow, the MP, broke wind, probably accidentally, we don't know, um, at a, at, a, at a point where there is a very important message coming from the Lords. It's gone down in legend. It was written up into a poem called The Parliament Fart, a poem that was then leaked for political reasons and circulated, you know, very widely in manuscript as a sort of anti-Parliament uh, tract. Mm. So, you know, there is the sort of political... Yeah. What about farting for money? Farting for money? Yeah, performance farts. Performance fart. That very famous... Pujol, Victorian guy. No, I'm not going to tell you any more about it. You're not going to tell us no, any more about it. I'm going to tell it. everyone to go and find it online. Is what, I, what was his name? Fartomaniac. Le Petomen. This was a guy, he went swimming one day as a young boy and discovered that he could basically suck up seawater into his anus oh, okay. and then he could squirt it out. And then he also discovered that he could suck up wind wow. and then he could basically fart on demand. And so he basically made a career and went to Le Moulin Rouge and basically made a career of going on the stage. Yeah, I was reading about this. Farting and, for money. And yeah, and he could he could replicate various sounds, yes, one of which yes. is the tearing of cloth. <laughs> um, but it was a Edison filmed him. You can actually see a film of him. The, the, the sound no way. Yeah, yeah. The sound has been lost, unfortunately. <laughs> so you, you get the you get the, the reaction of the audience. No, you just see him. You just see him moving around. So everyone go and see if you can find that. Well, that's been amazing. We have gone from chimpanzees, the Reformation, Schadenfreude, the Reformation, as always, ships, as always, Erasmus, uh, Erasmus, uh, Parliament, um, Moulin Rouge, Blazing Saddles, Pope, uh, Nutty Professor, very good, Samuel Pepys, yeah, always Samuel Pepys, and, always. and that poor man on the very crowded train from Glasgow. Yes, bless him. Bless him. Everyone, yes, just send your thoughts and good wishes to him. He's probably recovering still. Um, that was the history of the farts. Believe it or not, I loved that. That was good. <laughs> if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast and tell all of your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr. Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell. And you can follow Histories of the Unexpected on at Unexpected Pod. We are proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit and other great shows. And you can find out more about what we've got planned in the forthcoming months, show notes, video clips, photos of everything we discuss and much, much more at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected. Get in touch and we will see you soon next time. Bye. Bye. If you enjoy this podcast and you like learning about the past, check out my latest venture. It's called History Masterclass and it's a new type of historical event where you can actually learn in person from the best historians around today in unique and stunning historical locations. You can find out more at thehistorymasterclass.com and follow on Facebook. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. On Twitter at the History MC.